Hello? I'm Harry. I'm Rory. You're listening to games on the hill. It's spooky month, and there can be only one thing we are doing. Only like the fourth or fifth horror film we've done so far this year. <laughs> it's Silent Hill on Games on Film. Yes, it's about time we tackled Silent Hill because we have already covered a few other survival horror uh, video game movie adaptations, namely Alone in the Dark and Resident Evil, and it's uh, numerous sequels uh, at least I think we've done uh, four Resident Evil films up to this point but Silent Hill is definitely um, amongst one of the most recognisable horror video game names and if Resident Evil is the sort of mainstream populist increasingly action led franchise both in terms of the films and games and Alone in the Dark is sort of the um, uh, godfather of the genre but uh, I suppose the only people who would put that series above the others is uh, people who just want to say that they know that it came first um, but Silent Hill has always been something of the cooler darker more psychologically based uh, horror choice amongst uh, horror game aficionados the sort of people who like Hereditary and The Lighthouse and use the terms elevated horror yes. probably really like Silent Hill. <laughs> yes, particularly if they have uh, a lot of David Lynch films in their DVD collection. Mm. Yeah, I was kind of a snob about these games and I didn't play them um, when I was younger. And it was, it was partly wrapped up on the whole Sony versus Nintendo thing. But also, I was a... I, I was a fan of Resident Evil, though I've been on record saying I found the PlayStation games a bit of a struggle. But I think what's really made me super duper snobby about the first game was the fog featured because it was it was pure graphical snobbery. Because I mean, it seems really quaint now, but the first Resident Evil and Resident Evil Two, the graphics just blew my mind because it's pre-rendered backdrops, mm -hmm. and the big selling point of Silent Hill was that it was full 3D, but then that meant it ha it was forced to have fog, which I now realise it turned completely to its advantage. Yes, using the technical limitations to actually enhance the gameplay experience. And there was things, like PlayStation had been guilty, or Sony games had been guilty of doing this quite a lot. I remember the popular Spider-Man game, on the PlayStation had a plot which said, I think the Green Goblin had clouded up Manhattan in fog as the first part of his evil plan when it was just like, no, it's just, it's just the graphics, the bad graphics. But yeah, from, from somebody who's just seen clips of this game on movies, games and videos on Saturday morning, 
TV, I, I just took a look at this and I thought, so it seems to be quite an action-packed Resident Evil because all they ever showed was the gunplay. Action-packed Resident Evil with really bad graphics. I'm not in any way interested. Yeah, I, I think it tried to set itself out as something different away from the Resident Evil more kind of guns and zombies and that sort of stuff. Not just with the psychological uh, horror elements, but also the fact that the character is very much an everyman uh, protagonist mm. as opposed to a super uh, army soldier, as we like to call them. Special tactics and rescue service stars uh, from the Raccoon Police Department of the Resident Evil uh, games. Um, and while there have been quite a number of numbered entries as well as spin-offs um, from the Silent Hill games series. They are sort of maybe thematically linked rather than straight sequels. Uh, you have sort of nods to characters, you have names of characters reappearing in uh, different installments and you know, the, the different games of touch on previous games, but it's not like necessarily following the same band of characters and the same locations um, specifically. Silent Hill is both a place and a feeling. Mm. I don't know what to add to that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of things which are simultaneously places and thing feelings. So as I've established, I've got no real proper connection to Silent Hill. I've been watching it from afar I've only really ever played the remake, which you owned and introduced me to. It was a Silent Hill Shattered Memories. But what was your experience before Shattered Memories? I think up until that, my experience was playing more sort of outliers to the franchise rather than numbered entries, you know, proper installments. So I played Silent Hill the Arcade, which is probably goes against what most people think of as Silent Hill and being like a kind of House of the Dead style on the rail shooter, um, which I didn't get very far in. I couldn't quite work out what was happening. I just remember lots of um, monsters in the fog crawling towards me and kind of generally flailing their limbs at me while I uh, missed them trying to shoot them. Um, I think the big hook of Silent Hill, as you say, it's psychological horror and... We'll get into this more, and I suppose spoilers for Silent Hill franchise, even though I've established I know nothing. <laughs> but Silent Hill is all about how a lot of these creatures and things are, are representations of the character's own psyche. So when you're talking about Silent Hill Arcade, I like the idea that you're shooting, ooh, homework, and <laughs> overeating, and things like that, sort of, you just input things clowns what are you implying about people who go to arcades that they don't like homework and they're afraid of clowns <laughs> i think our other experience of silent hill outside of the games was in dancing stage euro mitts there's a delightful christmas themed tune which uh is called silent hill it's a konami game as well so i don't think it's an accident that they decided to call this rather sweet tune about loving someone at Christmas time, but they called it Silent Hill, so it just has this strange feeling of uh, uncanniness. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. It's a banger. It seems like my biggest interaction with the Silent Hill franchise is 
line dancing to a jolly Christmas tune. <laughs> yeah, and the tune itself I don't think has any other connection to the games apart from the name. I don't think it's, you know, based on music from the games or, or anything like that. It's just like a, a very joyful um, Christmas ditty. Well, as we sense, the 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 game we're most familiar with in the whole Silent Hill franchise is this uh, remake, which was an exclusive for the Wii for a time, though I think it's now been ported to, to PlayStation. And that was very icy and snowy. Hmm. When I think traditionally... Is Silent Hill the first game? Um, it's foggy, but... In the film, it's because of ash and burning coal. Is that the same thing for the game? I don't know. Okie dokie. We might, we might hear this a lot. Yeah, so Shattered Memories came out in 2009, uh, 10 years after the original Silent Hill game in 1999. And it is functionally a sort of remake of that first game, though it really just sort of takes the concept and the premise, and then goes in a different direction, I believe, fairly quickly. So there are parallels, there are locations, there are settings. Uh, The character that you play, Harry Mason, is the same as in the first game. You are in a car crash looking for your daughter, Cheryl, in Silent Hill, Uh, and it's in a kind of blizzard at the time rather than fog. But... um, this game was developed instead by a British team called Climax, who also did a Silent Hill prequel called Silent Hill Origins. Uh, generally, the other games were developed by Konami in Japan by Team Silent. And Shattered Memories' main hook, apart from anything else, is when you start the game up, there's a psychology warning. And the main gameplay is interspersed with these sequences. Uh, where a psychologist is interviewing you and you have to you have to do little exercises like ink blocked tests and filling out forms and these have parallels and find their way into the main game depending on your answers there's one moment where you have a picture black and white of a family with a house and you have to color it in And then when you go to that house in the game, the house is the colours that you chose for, um, you know, the windows, the doors, uh, the panelling, even the residents inside the shirt, uh, the shirts they're wearing are based on what you coloured them in. So, you know, there are very direct links, but also the way you answer questions will interpret how certain characters look. For instance, the police officer, Sybil Bennett, who's also a character in the film, if you answer questions one way she'll be dressed in a very formal police outfit she'll be all sort of covered up wearing a cap and everything if you answer the questions in a different way she'll be wearing more of a sort of like cropped small tight shirt with her boobs almost hanging out and you know having a completely different uh presence more like her film version then yes (laughs) i think the (laughs) film version they went with sexy version as opposed to actually you know professional (laughs) looking like an actual police officer version i kind of totally forgot about this cop character in the film because i had we both had seen it before and i forgot that she was kind of a badass and she she kind of made me 
She reminded me of how I feel when I see Marge Simpson as a cop, <laughs> which is um, kind of problematic now, like many of my previous infatuations, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> ACAB doesn't stand for all cops are babes, Harry. No, it does not indeed. Um, as it was developed by a British team, I half expected you to say she gets dressed up as the British Bobby. <laughs> uh, not the case, not the case. The other element of the game, which I'd sort of forgotten about replaying, and something which has been somewhat lost, I suppose, now that the Wii and the Wii U are not um, are not in my regular circulation of consoles, uh, was how much it immerses you with the Wii Remote controller. The fact that the character, as you walk around, has a flashlight, and so wherever you point the Wii Remote, you're pointing the flashlight. And you also have a mobile phone, and calls uh, come through on the speaker on the Wii Remote controller, so... I forgot it had a speaker. Yes, it feels very immersive, so you're getting these, like, scratchy phone calls and things coming out of this tiny speaker, which adds to the creepiness, because static, radio static, always plays a big part in Silent Hill games to indicate the presence of uh, the other world... Uh, that exists in in these games um so it manifests itself in static on the screen static through your phone and with it a little bit the Wii remote controller so you know it's a it's a nice immersive way of presenting the gameplay um but I, I think with the game and again maybe this sort of feeds into the other titles but with shattered memories it's not a kind of boo-scare-you game. There are little attempts at jumps, but um, my overwhelming feeling about Silent Hill as a franchise is that it's sort of dealing with, you know, there's grotesquery and there's disturbing imagery, but also it's about feeling, it's about atmosphere. I think Shattered Memories, it's not a scary game, but it's involving it's immersive it's engaging and it's it's more eerie and sad you kind of encounter these echoes memories of other people and you know moments of tragedy or moments of sadness with different things that you encounter on the way and it all sort of feeds into your character's own quest trying to reconcile what's happening what's happened to his daughter etc so it's a very interesting title it's it's quite short on the replay it only took me maybe about eight hours uh, i remember when i first played it i got stuck in the nightmare realms and couldn't work out where the hell i was going and found them incredibly frustrating but playing it again knowing a little bit more of what i had to do um it was far more manageable <laughs> i think there's a difference between the the shooting horror games um, which can become power fantasies even resident evil where uh, at the start its reason Detra was limited ammunition. And I think the difference is Silent Hill wants to disturb and get under your skin. And that sort of thing stays with you a lot longer. Mm. I think it was brought into sharp relief by some of the DVD extras on Silent Hill. Where they're talking about the monster design. And that the director said that he wanted the monsters not to be scary, but to be disturbing. And I think most notably uh, in recent years, because... Silent Hill as a franchise is uh, not necessarily dormant, but um, there's not sort of much happening on the horizon games-wise at time of recording anyway. 
but uh, most notably with the release of P.T. in 2014, which was a teaser, a, a playable teaser, P.T., as it's called, um, for a new instalment in the Silent Hill franchise called Silent Hills, which was to be made in a collaboration between Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro with Norman Reedus of The Walking Dead starring. Um, But when uh, Kojima left Konami, uh, the project was cancelled and the demo, which caused a lot of attention and lots of ripples in the gaming community, was removed from the store and is at present unplayable unless you downloaded it in time. It's a sort of lost game. Um, but in so doing, it's gathered a sort of level of mystique around it that, you know, if it was still available, maybe it wouldn't have, but it's proven to be very influential. It feels very Silent Hill to have this hidden, <laughs> hidden, <laughs> barely reachable bit of ephemera just out mm. there. I think people would say, for instance, that Resident Evil 7 owes a debt to the PT demo mm. but i think capcom would also say they were developing resident evil 7 before this demo was released and there isn't any direct connection but it certainly feels like the ripples of pt are still being felt which is amazing considering not enough people have been able to play it and the actual game that it was meant to be a teaser for will never appear, (laughs) presumably. So, yeah, the future of Silent Hill or Silent Hills remains a little uncertain at the moment, but I think it's certainly ripe for revisiting. So, um, Silent Hill, the movie, the one we're talking about today, we, we both saw this... Um, I actually opened up my DVD box and out popped my cinema ticket from oh. Cin- from Cineworld. And at time of recording, we've learned that Cineworld cinemas in the UK are, I think, being shuttered for the foreseeable future. And we saw this on the 22nd of April 2006, screen two at 10 to 9 in the evening. Okay. <laughs> Not in the morning. Did we go see Eden Lake at that same cinema, like, before noon or something? I can't remember that. I actually have a copy of Eden Lake from a charity shop, which I haven't watched since buying it a few years ago, because that's actually a very upsetting film. Yeah, I just remember watching it before noon, I think, at that Cineworld Trocadero, and it really put a dampener on the rest of the day. Cinema prices back then it was eight pounds ninety for a central cinema ticket, and I think they're now two hundred pounds. I can't remember. Have <laughs> Well, I think that space is now taken up by the Picture House Central, which is also owned and operated by Cineworld. So that's going to be closing too. But they're still playing films underground <laughs> in this never realm, never world. Yes, cinema ghost towns. Having not played any of the games, I got really excited about this film. 
because of the trailers and it seemed to be giving a very sort of hellraiser vibe and hellraiser is one of my favorite films um it just seemed to be taking the material quite seriously and i think as a video game fan it was just very interesting and nice to see some of the iconography and soundtrack specifically replicated because i think one thing we haven't touched on yet is how the music for the silent hill games are iconic and a pretty massive part of why the fans like them the composer and sound designer for the games akira yamaoka is also named as an executive producer i think of the film and the score is comprised entirely of music from the games but uh, most of it's rearranged by composer Jeff Danner, who also provided the score for Resident Evil Apocalypse, (laughs) games on film fans. But uh, yeah, even the end credits song is uh, from Silent Hill 3, and at one point the main character is listening to a song also from Silent Hill on the car radio. So the sound and the music and everything that, yeah, is an indelible part of Silent Hill the games is transported almost wholesale to the film in a very satisfying and atmospheric way. Yeah, I think the soundscape of this film is one of its major strengths. And in fact, I remember coming out of the film and I think I was a bit more positive about it than you were. I think one of the best cinema experiences of my life is watching Silent Hill Because when those sirens start in the town and the screen goes dark and the bass drops, there's a sort of whoomph when the nightmare begins. It really opened not my eyes, but my ears to how amazing cinema can be. I think that was the time when I realised I'm not going for the big screen. I'm going for the sound, for the surround sound to cinemas. Mm. So... I think ever since then, it has been my mission to get a decent sonar sound system, surround sound, and uh, THX, my own house. <laughs> I definitely feel the same way when I've seen stuff on like 70mm at the Prince Charles Cinema and like classic favourite movies. And it's not so much the, the image and, you know, yeah, I can pick out stuff in the background I didn't necessarily notice on DVD, etc. But it's the sound like seeing Die Hard or Big Trouble Little China and hearing like gunshots just like pow 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 and Mm. that kind of stuff it really does change how a film feels it also feels really tragic because the sound mixers or the sound designers put so much effort into getting those gunshots zip past your ear and things and then most people will watch this on their phones (laughs) (laughs) just to wrap up on the whole music thing I freaking hated the music used in the credits, this sort of (laughs) poppy pop song. And I was like, whose insane decision was this? And then I read afterwards, oh, it's from the game. So I felt like a bit of a charlatan. But, you know, it's very on point for a Japanese horror experience, like a horror film like Ringu, to finish with such a chilling moment. And then you have like a middle of the road j-pop pop song yep. riding up the credits so it kind of works <laughs> so in terms of the silent hill movie and its faithfulness to the source material it does seem like they were looking to try and recreate 
the spirit of the games rather than do a like-for-like adaptation of, say, the first game. The, The plot itself seems like a sort of composite of stories and characters from the existing franchise. But the director, Christophe Gans, from France, um, he was a big fan of the first game and he did as much as he can to secure the rights to the franchise. Um, His work beforehand uh, included Crying Freeman, um, Brotherhood of the Wolf, both, I think, with Mark Dacascos of Double Dragon fame. (laughs) And uh, more recently, he did uh, an adaptation of Beauty and the Beast with Vincent Cassel and Leah Seydoux. Um, But he was a fan of the franchise, and it does seem like this is a film made by someone who you know, understands the world of Silent Hill, or at least has tried to do his best to replicate the feeling. He was, I think, in the DVD extras, was talking about uh, trying to capture the spirit of the source material rather than, you know, directly staying true to the story. When they were developing it and writing the script as well, they would have the copy of the game there, and they'd be looking at the camera angles of different settings and sequences and try and replicate that uh, in the film. Um, the script was uh, co-written by Roger Avery, who uh, co-wrote Pulp Fiction and Beowulf, as well as also writing, directing um, Killing Zoe and Rules of Attraction. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Rules of Attraction. I haven't watched it since my student days, though, so maybe I'll think it's horrific and misogynistic <laughs> and I don't like it anymore. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's um, potentially likely. <laughs> um, but it did seem like... The creative team, you know, went out their way to try and make this film. It's not like director of a hire sort of job. It's going to be pretty difficult to try and avoid comparisons to Resident Evil because they are both PS1 survival horror games. I do feel Paul W.S. Anderson, who's majorly responsible for the films, he is a gamer. I really do think that. I, I, I don't think he is a a fake gamer guy <laughs> but i think it's probably safe to say he makes paul ws anderson movies with a resident evil skin the resident evil films are often a lot of fun but if you look at the tone in the games of resident evil you feel really isolated and alone and vulnerable and i don't get that sense in the resident evil films by and large and here in Silent Hill, the strongest thing about this film is its tone. It chooses to be a horror film. Mm. And it's interesting that Silent Hill also comes from producer Samuel Hadida, who produced the Resident Evil films. So it's clearly of Anderson's making <laughs> that the Resident Evil films uh, turn out that way. And I'm sure Capcom were very much on board as soon as they raking in the millions too. Oh, again, yeah. They're successful films, but... Again, any Resident Evil fan kind of would love to see a Resident Evil movie, which is at least attempts to be as disturbing and scary as this film attempts to be. Honey, sometimes when you go to sleep, you go on a little walk, and sometimes you talk about a place. I don't remember. That's why we're going to go there, so you can remember.
need your help. I'm not okay. Please, hurry. Fire started 30 years ago. I don't know what's happening. Do you know what's going on here? This place is completely cut off. Only the dark one opens and closes the door to Silent Hill. Hey! Where is she? I'm trying to find my wife. She looks exactly like Sharon. Why? the darkness of hell. It's okay, baby. Mommy's coming. I'm sorry. Uh, so I've got the video box here in front of me because I, I like the film enough to get it on DVD when, back in the day of physical media. And <laughs> the video box depicts just a collection of the enemies from the film. There's old Pyramid Head there who's called Red Pyramids in this film. There's a couple of the nurses two guys in sort of mining suits and the tagline on the box is we've been expecting you and i'm questioning who's actually saying that <laughs> is it the no i mean none of them creatures talk so they're all they're all um i mean appropriately silent hmm. because they've all got masks or bandages or something obstructing their face even the guy at the bottom who's all wrapped up in the barbed wire oh, I didn't even in the film him. has something inside of his mouth mm. so that uh you know it's on point so it's probably more like i mean i know we don't need every question answered in a film but uh is there any hills in silent hill there's uh seems quite mountainous in places i think it's it's on a hill mm. doesn't mean there is a hill you know you don't call something hill if it's got a hill in it you call it something hill if it's on a hill i suppose but you know i just think i would like to i like i would have liked the main character to be looking in the distance and spot a hill and goes oh i see i, see, I get it now <laughs> i guess the church is kind of up a hill it is on a there's hill. like a big staircase <laughs> yes okay that we're going to establish that silent hill refers to the the hill what the church is on i think we okay we've we've solved that mystery <laughs> so on the back of the box it says based on the best selling horror action game silent hill stars radher mitchell brackets man of fire as rose a desperate mother who takes her adopted daughter sharon to the town of silent hill in an attempt to cure her of her ailment what ailment like you can't cure adoption. <laughs> what? What was it? I think. 
I think it might be the maybe mental trauma sleepwalking. I yeah, in in the but in the text it just says cure her adoptive daughter of her ailment. Oh. Not an ailment. Mystery. Anyway. Um after a violent car crash, Sharon disappears and Rose begins her desperate search to get her back. She descends into a fog of smouldering ash and into the centre of the twisted reality of the town's terrible secret. Pursued by grotesquely deformed creatures and townspeople stuck in permanent purgatory, Rose begins to uncover the truth behind the apocalyptic disaster that burned the town 30 years back. Dare to step inside the horrific town of Silent Hill, where darkness preys on every soul and hell's creations wait around every corner. But no, but once you enter, there's no turning back. Mm. I think that's a pretty good synopsis compared to some of the other ones we've mm. <laughs> seen. I mean, I guess we should really bring up, we should make a spreadsheet and, and say how many of these video boxes start with based on the best-selling video game or something along <laughs> those lines. Like We can get a bot to read mm -hmm. every video game movie back of the bots and auto-generate the perfect video game movie, Indeed. or at least the most average one. Spoilers, as we've said, for the film. The big change is um, Harry Mason is actually a woman called Rose. Were you offended as a Harry? Oh, I know. Is this Harry washing? I did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I wrote, we did um, Dragon Quest recently. That also had a, a Harry in it. So we're going through a few Harrys. Well, wait until we get a video game movie, Rory. One day. It's never going to happen, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see to it. <laughs> this, there's a whole subplot of Sean Bean being the the worried dad trying to work out where his wife and adoptive daughter had gone. And that was, that was a studio note. So it was a producer's note, I believe. Mm. And it's very obvious and very telling. And, you know, I love Sean Bean a lot. And uniquely, he doesn't get killed in this one, though he does murder an American accent. <laughs> I thought his American accent was fine. So it's it's a bit of a shame that his scenes... I mean, we could probably talk about his scenes in the space of a minute because all he... he, he originally, Chris is his character name. Originally, Chris was just there at the start of the end of the film and then these other scenes were inserted where he's following the trail of his wife... And he does a little detour to this orphanage where their adopted daughter came from. And he learns a lot of stuff which informs the audience, but doesn't impact anything. And considering that the biggest strike against this film is this massive info dump, which happens about halfway through or two thirds or two thirds of the way through. I think I think it's yeah, it's almost at the very end. There's a huge info dump and I think we get we could have got the gist just from this info dump, basically. So this film is also two hours long and it's very rare for a horror movie to, to need to be longer than 90 minutes. And all, every single time we cut to Sean Bean shouting, Sharon, Sharon, Rose, Rose, where are you? 
it just felt like a bit of a waste of time. The only bit I really liked was when there was a sequence when Rose, who's in this never realm, is walking one way, was running one way, and Sean Bean is walking the other way, and they sort of cross paths, and he has a sharp and take a breath. And I, I love ghost stories like that, where you can feel a presence, but that's the only time I felt it was at all justified. Yeah, I I, I signalled out that moment as well, that passing between them as uh, the moment where his stuff and the main story, I mean, they literally sort of cross paths just in different realms, but that's also where it sort of justified what he was doing. It's also notable because at that point, he's told by the detective to put that mask on and breathe through that mask, which I felt are... Uh, Good warnings for <laughs> Good advice. coronavirus time. Good advice. Keep that mask on. Um, you know, this this film would still be a Bechdel pass several times over um, without these scenes uh, in there. And, it, you know, it's this film is still a Bechdel pass even with these scenes of uh, the men doing the investigation, the man-vestigation or whatever you want to call it, like mansplaining the... Uh, backstory to the audience um and yeah that was my overriding feeling of the film when i saw it first time but actually this time i i i kind of got the the stuff that sean bean's character is doing and i think it's necessary for the way the film kind of ends and i think it's necessary to have those sort of parallels going on just to sort of remind you I, I do think the film drags in those moments and it's you know snaps you out of this incredibly stunningly created and visually arresting world where it's just you know all this sort of fog and then it's just clearly filmed in sunlight but having to do rain <laughs> uh you know to sort of show it's raining in this place and it's not in the other place so something's up um so you know, those moments where there are those links and those paths crossing, I, I think that's where it works. It didn't bother me as much this time watching it, maybe just because I, I like watching Sean Bean, like, furrowing his brow and <laughs> getting a bit uh, anxious. I mean, he's he's the voice of advertising for O2, so he gets a few creepy voicemails in this film from his... Uh may or may not be on the same astral plane wife <laughs> that could be a good o2 <laughs> advert <laughs> rose rose where are you um i mean i i'm not sure quite why the director changed the main character of the game silent hill to a woman i i sense that it feels right i guess maybe it's just because there's i it is a very maternal uh role and it feels more natural for the main character to be a, a mother. And I think there's just the the parallels throughout the whole film is all to do about mother and child relationships. Yes. And even outside the main character. Yeah, yeah. There's there's all these moments where it is about mother figures and the children and you know questions about parentage and fatherhood etc and i think it's you know having a man come in and explain away everything to you know all these strong women and things might look a little bit um jarring mm. but i again as you say you don't really 
you don't really feel like the film is saying, look, look at all these women, 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 women. It's, it's like just feels right that it is this story. And it's it's only really afterwards that you sort of think about it and be like, oh, yeah, there were barely any men doing anything in this film. And that's interesting. What did you think of of Rose ultimately then, the, the main character? I can't remember the name of the actress. Who plays her? I mean, you just said their name on the box, Harry. <laughs> yes, in one ear and out the other, even though I was looking at stuff. Um, so, Rada Mitchell. I think she uh, is good. I think she's a very engaging presence. I think she feels like... I think she captures like the moments of vulnerability and what the hell is happening, but also feeling like strong and determined. I never sort of felt at any moment that what she was doing or how she was reacting to things was like unjustified apart from maybe when she does decide to like initiate a police pursuit. She is trying to find out what the origins of her daughter who's suffering from these episodes of sleepwalking and talking about this place called Silent Hill where uh, she apparently came from. And she has been sort of stopped by the police officer, Sybil Bennett. And she's asked to sort of pull over and then sees her turning off to Silent Hill. It's just like, oh, no, fuck this. Just like drives really, really fast off the turning, smashes through a chain link fence. And that's like okay behavior. <laughs> well, I kind of feel like her bad choices start earlier than that. Because if she never went to Silent Hill, everything would be fine. <laughs> the first scene is the parents screaming for their daughter uh, Sharon and she's Sharon is obviously having some sort of night nightmare or sleepwalking vision as you say and we see that she's seeing sort of the hellish pits of Silent Hill and we see a glimpse of what well, we turn out to be a, a dark half of her called Alyssa and she's just rescued in a nick of time by rose and rose is saying all this stuff about how oh it's getting worse it's getting worse and then the next scene she has decided to take sharon to this mysterious silent hill without consulting her husband he learns about this while she's en route and luckily google has been left with the search i know <laughs> this this in a time before incognito tabs um <laughs> she's just left the family computer on with the last the last page she looked at was her home page all about ghost towns the thing is though i mean we, the film sort of definitely establishes that silent hill or the dark forces therein are calling to sharon but i still think it would be possible for doctors to help. I mean, this film is basically The Wizard because <laughs> in The Wizard, we have this this traumatised young boy. He's walking somewhere, we don't know where, and he's picked up and he's taken to a video game tournament. In this, it's the same deal. And the mum, I'm sorry, the Rose is saying the meds aren't working, the doctors are doing nothing. And I'm watching this thinking, she's a pretty young girl how long has this been going on for? Um, I think she was adopted as a baby. But I just think that you could spend a little bit longer going, 
down the medication route <laughs> and, yeah. and the therapy route. But then I guess she didn't expect... I think she was expecting maybe a short trip to Silent Hill. You know, it'd be like visiting a <laughs> National Trust site. They'd go to the gift shop. Um, they'll she get some closure and they'll, they'll, they'll be home with some lovely pyramid head plushies and things. And, you know, it's all great. <laughs> yeah, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> it, it did sort of set me against her slightly when she, she just doesn't even tell her husband she's doing this. I don't know. She seems... But in terms of her performance... I do. There's a. I love a lot about this production design. Here's the. I love the production design. I love the music. The monsters are fantastic, and, and there's definitely some themes I really enjoy in this film. And I think she's fine, the main actress. But because this, because the the remake to Ringu came out around about the same time, I was thinking about mm. how much better this would have been. If there was like Naomi Watts in this role, I feel she's she's serviceable. Is this is this actress, and she is determined as you say, but I feel she's quite often a little bit blank. And I think if we had someone who really sells her emotional state and her and her worry and things, I I think this would be elevated from from good to great. I think you're still just like smarting over the fact that they're not called Harry. <laughs> Probably, yeah. She could have been called Harriet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could have gone down that route. I'm fine. I can deal with that. Harriet. I just about yeah, fine. <laughs> um the the daughter though, Sharon, the actress who plays her Jadel Furland. She is pretty damn good. And she has to play three different characters, effectively, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Sort of innocent and nice um, Sharon. And then sort of dark Alyssa, who's sort of the dark half of this sort of beaten and burned, like the evil core of Silent Hill, Alyssa. And who's the other? Oh, and she plays, I guess, young... The demon. A demon. <laughs> yeah she's she's pretty great and um i think there's so many i actually don't like evil children in films by which i mean i never really find them scary i always picture myself holding their heads as they're trying to reach for me you know they can't reach me yeah this this film definitely goes with the spooky ghost girl trope and chasing after the ghost and they're not there sort of thing kind of like what Lara Croft does in Tomb Raider with the Angelina Jolie version for some reason. Or don't look now. (laughs) (laughs) But when um, the dark Alyssa turns around and she looks, she looks haunted, you know, she's got a white face, dark eyes, messed up hair. And the way she sort of tilts her head down and looks up towards you, she she sells it. I think she has she has the look of a, of dark Alyssa. And as she approaches the camera, I wouldn't say I was like, because I'm big and tough. I wouldn't say I was pissing my pants. Um, but <laughs> I did a little bit of wee come out. <laughs> a little then. bit of wee. She she manages to convey this malevolence, and I think that's the thing. She's not haunted. She's she's meant to be evil. So. Yeah, I think she was pretty, pretty good. It kind of helps that she can also set her arms on fire too. That's quite skilled, yeah. I I could roll my tongue, but she can spontaneously combust her own arms. (laughs) And that's why she's in time out. (laughs) 
other members of the cast, I I did really enjoy Sybil, uh, the badass cop. Um, there's not much to her character other than being a badass, but I think the film and the game they start slightly differently, and we get introduced to the cop a little bit earlier than in the game, and the cop is ended ending up pursuing our main characters into the town where I think in the game you bump into her because she's just from a neighboring town. Yeah. She's, I think Silent Hill PD and the, at least in shattered memories anyway, but um, she's from Brahms PD, which is also a, a place named in the Silent Hill games. In fact, a lot of the places that you see in the film, you know, things like Toluca Lake, uh, Midwich stool, um, which in the game, uh, shattered memories their team is the midwich cuckoos and the founder is john windham I, I so it's all wonder. village of the damned yeah yeah village of the damned references i understood that reference <laughs> yeah in terms of other reference i think when um sean bean and the detective are going through the town i saw the cinema was the orpheus cinema which again ooh, greek myths mm. and it's playing a double bill of last man on earth and the omega man two yeah, so two i am legends and when she's uh, Rose is looking at the bus map, bus route, I recognise some of the street names uh, as well from the from the game too. So little Easter eggs, I'm sure, popping up everywhere for fans. Officer Sybil Bennett is played by Laurie Holden, who also appeared in The Mist. So oh yes, one two punch of foggy movies. She's at home in the fog. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, it's probably better known for roles in The Walking Dead and the X-Files. Um, and yeah, I, I, I like her performance because, yeah, she is like badass cop kind of vibe. But as scary stuff happens and she slightly thaws her cold approach to Rose, you do get a sense of warmth and honesty and faith in Rose and, you know... Serving and protecting. <laughs> I think it is quite refreshing, actually. You are right, where a cop or just or just a generic asshole character sees sense, you know. Um we I can see a I can see a version of this film where she she encounters her first monster, which is like this basic grizzly condom with legs with a sort of black wound in his chest which sprays acid. And she then, after the entire encounter, says, it was just some drunk. (laughs) Hey, you up there! I'm a police officer! What's going on?
and fat you know funnily enough sean bean is lumped with this sort of asshole cop character inspector gucci played by tim coates of resident evil afterlife oh i'm trying to even he's the asshole producer really he looks entirely different that's amazing what a performer (laughs) (laughs) i've got a question though i don't know if it's a bit too soon to talk about sort of the history of silent hill but we we established that i think this fire started 30 years ago Mm -hmm. and that asshole cop has got burnt hands but if yeah. the fire and we see him the same age in the flashback burning his hands on this sort of metal platform which Alessa was being burnt on as a witch so i got really confused about timelines here i think he's meant to look younger younger but he he definitely doesn't look 30 years younger yeah I think it's attempt to be younger and there's also maybe a slight question mark about whether he is also maybe slightly purgatory-ish and got out. I don't know. I, I, I think I think it's meant to be he's meant to be younger and it's just not a convincing makeup job one way or the other. Yeah. I did have a few questions about the internal logic of this film. Like how do people survive in this purchase? perpetual limbo and then i have to remind myself when you're dealing with a ghost story and effectively a ghost realm i mean i I just think all bets are off either silent hill has got a fully functional tesco express and that's how everyone gets their food (laughs) or they haven't really noticed or realized they're not eating (laughs) well the character anna that they encounter she's scavenging for food and has tins of food and says i need to get food for mother so I think they're living a scavenging existence. But again, it's ghost realm stuff. I think asking too many questions That's not how ghosts about the, 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 the logistics. I know we spent a lot of our last episode working out the logistics of the Mortal Kombat tournament. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to say it's ghost stuff. But yes, this, this is like, this is a dream world. Um, Rose is driving along. She hits her head. When she wakes up, everything is is this this fog, and I think from that point on, we can assume things don't have to make sense. Um, but you know, as I said earlier, I mean the characters. I don't. I don't think I dislike any of the characters actually, and I think they they're not distracting or offensive or anything. And again, it is. The atmosphere keeps me watching. Harry, are you saying that Silent Hill is a character in the film? <laughs> it's, it could be a character in the film. But I I think the reason why it connects with me is that it, it does get you on a psychological level. The idea that there are these fires perpetually burning under the town... And just the idea of an abandoned ghost town, you know. I feel like I've seen so many abandoned towns in, in horror and films, but there's just something just so sad about it. And it this stuff genuinely happens. There are genuine towns in America and in other parts of the world which have these perpetual coal fires. Like, I, I remember hearing about this town in a podcast called... Um, I think it's called Centralia. And... 
it was say a mining town and there's lots of illegal trash dumps around and say thought it'd be a good idea to set fire to a dump to get rid of it and that sort of ignited some coal underneath and since the 60s it's been burning and it, it's still burning today and i just find that just an ever-present never stopping burning really disturbing i think the uh cult that comes into play as the film goes on um i don't necessarily support their tactics and what they're doing but <laughs> but. <it's> that... <laughs> but all i'm saying is i think you see this kind of thing happen like apocalypse cults mm. and religious sects and if you saw what was happening in Silent Hill, it'd be like, oh yeah, maybe you do think this is hell on earth if you're that way inclined. And you can kind of see why people react to that. I've been playing The Last of Us Part 2, for instance, and some of the uh, enemies that you encounter belong to this cult which has been established since this you know, apocalypse has ravaged the world, etc. And it's just like, oh, if you kind of believe in that way and then something apocalyptic happens, I can see why if you were, you know, such a fervent believer, you think, oh, this is the rapture or, you know, oh, this is the end of days. Yeah, I can see it. I'll, I'll pray now. <laughs> it's like, what's the weather like outside, love? Um, looks like the rapture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. But... The town is shrouded in this perpetual fog, but I think the real highlights is when that iconic siren blares. And I don't know about you, like a, a siren, like a warning siren is, is just a chilling sound to hear. I found out mm. after lockdown, they test the siren every Tuesday morning where I live. And the first time I happened, I thought, oh, fuck, is this the end? <laughs> and then I googled it and it said yes sirens are tested every Tuesday morning and I was like oh bloody hell <laughs> I thought the darkness was coming but then yes the siren happens and it just gets dark and again that sound of the thumping bass and you know what it's just not natural for the sky to go black in the middle of the day mm-hmm. it's it's it just becomes a total nightmare and it's just really oppressive and claustrophobic and it's just she it's i just it's the best way to describe it it's a nightmare it's so it's so rare on this podcast that we're having a film a horror film trying to actually disturb us you know yeah like a horror film trying to be horrific mm. and it is horrific i think the first thing she encounters properly horrifyingly seems to be a man i think it's a man in in like a crucified position his guts are hanging out and he's in like a gas mask he's in like one of those minor suits and you just we get a close-up of it of the watery wide open eyes and i think a big part of horror for me is helplessness i think if i try and think of my most disturbing moments is when any form of escape is, is stripped away and things. I mean, it's why I find like slasher, why slasher movies can feel like a more fun than disturbing because there's like a chase and you kind of feel that 
the the person being pursued could escape if they were just if they were just a little bit better at running perhaps <laughs> mm. um but when she's just in this darkness she's bumping into walls she doesn't know where she's going the only light she has is a cigarette lighter you know it's she just can't escape and she's surrounded by these screaming children creatures which were actual people in costume but then they've had like an unfortunate um painted cgi fire over him which kind of makes him look a little bit crap but <laughs> it's yeah there, there is a bit of wonky cg but there is also a lot of practical effects mm. and sometimes the combination between them works sometimes it doesn't but i admired how much was practically done through costume and makeup and it certainly helps lend a bit more tactile quality mm. to the things that um, the characters encounter as they go on than if it were just purely CG, I suppose. And this nightmare world is just rotting and fetid. It did make me miss that kind of period in the mid-90s where there was a lot of, like, industrial hell goth pop. Hmm. I think it was posted on the David Bowie Facebook page a little while ago, but it was the, I think, uh, 25th anniversary of the Hearts Filthy Lesson uh, song from the Outside album, which uh, also appeared in the end credits of Seven. Yeah. And uh, David Bowie was like touring with Nine Inch Nails at the time. And so like the Closer music video by Mark Ramonek and that kind of aesthetic is all just like, here's a bunch of twisted shit. And I don't know, I just felt a little bit nostalgic for that aesthetic. And Silent Hill definitely, not necessarily a last hurrah for that stuff, but it, it definitely feels out of step with the way horror cinema would continue for the rest of uh, the early part of the century. It should have become glossier and glossier, didn't it? Yeah, rather than grimier and grimier. And that's a slight criticism I have of the, for want of a better phrase, daytime stuff. And it's fairly intentional, but I found the, the cinematography of the daytime stuff a little bit too clean. I kind of felt like I wanted more handheld stuff, but then I noticed, saw that the camera angles were often lifted from the game. So again, I, I this is that's me speaking as a, a non-fan of the games. I'm sure fans of the games would get a lot out of those sort of smooth, flowing camera angles on tracks and things like that. What are your thoughts then on the difference between the two worlds in terms of the threat, though? Because my feelings with at least playing Shattered Memories and... Maybe it's the same case with the other games too, I don't know. But I also feel a little bit with the film how, you know, the sirens and the radio static, etc. They indicate something bad's about to go down. Um, but do you think it signposts things too much? And the fact that this other realm, you know, there's all this horror going on. But then if you just wait it out a little bit longer, um, it will dissipate again whether that then sort of creates a feeling that those moments when she is in this horror realm lack threat. She did seem to knock her head and fall unconscious quite a lot, you know. Uh, she wakes up at one point and we get the big reveal of Red Pyramid 
um, or pyramid head. It's a good thing he didn't show up five minutes earlier and eviscerate you then. You, you've, you've picked a perfect moment to go unconscious. The Silent Hill nightmare seems to dissipate at a, at a good cinematic moment, you know? Yeah. In that scene I was telling you about, when she's being pursued by screaming baby, naked babies with burning skin and contorted faces, like their skin is twisted right around their heads, it's horrific. They're just all over her, and you're thinking, how is she going to get out? And she just gets out. That's how it happens. The babies just all disappear. Later on, when they are cornered by Pyramid Head, and they're trapped in this tiny boiler room, and he's thrusting his giant metal sword around the place, and all these flesh-eating bugs are coming through the walls. It's like, how are they going to get out of this? And it's just like, oh the siren wails and it's fine now it must be really annoying having to sort of like clock on and off like you only have like demon hours at a certain a lot of time just like what if i want to work overtime i can imagine there being like a timer at the bottom of the screen like crystal maze and you've got richard o'brien with his <laughs> harmonica you need to get the crystal from the corner of the room but avoid the giant blade yes i've been singing the praises of the design and the creatures and everything like that uh, and you might need to help me out here a bit because, as we said right at the start, this world is from the psyche of a person, from a burnt woman now, but she she was burned as a young girl called uh, Elissa. Is it Elissa? Elissa. This burnt girl called Elissa. And I remember reading. As iconic as Pyramid Head is, who made his debut in Silent Hill 2, in Silent Hill 2, the things like the nurses, the sexualized nurses and Pyramid Head, they are facets of the main character's psyche. They have meaning. And I feel, even as someone who's not really played the games... I feel that some of this iconography has been transplanted without the reasoning attached to it. I actually can't think for the life of me what Pyramid Head is meant to represent in this film. He's meant to represent badass. <laughs> yes, maybe she she finds bodybuilders and pyramids really hot. Yeah. When we go to the school, we encounter, I think, the most Hellraiser-y influenced creature... Is this Colin who seems to be a um, like groundskeeper at the school, and it's very much established that he um, sort of sexually abused Alyssa when she was at school. You you kind of wonder if is he in his own hell? When we first see Colin, his sort of tongue is flicking out in a really gross way. It's just absolutely awful. I think it's a bit much from the performer. I think it's like. <laughs> You're doing it too much. Dial it down just a notch. We know you're a horrible sleaze monster. Just stop. I found it quite refreshing that it went that far, to be honest. It wasn't trying to hold back. It's a little bit different from someone just going... Mm. Well, again, we we stroll into whether or not it's like a... It's it's really Colin, or if it's, again, an, a projection. But bottom line, we, we, we know why he's there... He has a connection to uh, Alyssa, but again, I, I just don't know what Pyramid Head is doing there other than he was just 
a breakout hit from Silent Hill 2 onwards. <laughs> He's popular with the tits. And again, the same goes for the sexy nurses. Nurses existed in Silent Hill 1, but they only became sort of sexualized in 2, but there was a story reason in 2, as I think it represented, again, I think either the sexual uh, repression or the sexual desires of the main character in that. But again, I don't know why Alyssa in her bed would be doing sexy Halloween nurses <laughs> in her psyche. It's a little bit confused and it only becomes distracting if you think about it at all. Yeah, Alyssa has enlisted the services of a regular nurse in her little hellscape uh, who has scratched out face and pupilless eyes and is sobbing probably because she's been tending after her for 30 years or so yeah, they've run out of things to talk about <laughs> it's like uh, have you watched any telly this week no telly doesn't exist so, uh. and i have no eyes yeah what do, what do you think of colors and things <laughs> i don't know everything's gray oh, okay she, she's dressed exactly like a nurse character in silent hill one who i think is a fairly important character but um she's you know, she's just cosplaying as that character in this film so alessa is the vengeful spirit of this town who is inextricably linked to this cult i suppose of this religious sect or order uh which is uh holed up in the church in town it's the one place in town which is not affected by the nightmares that um, Rose and Sybil encounter while they're there. Uh, they do encounter other residents on the way to the church, including Dahlia, who is a strange outcast who mumbles prophetic stuff. I thought she was kind of great in this. I mean, yeah, she's like yeah. a proper... She looks like she could be singing it in, into the woods. <laughs> she looks like a witch. She does look a bit into the woods, yes. Mm. There's a lot of nods to Christianity. And it's, it's obviously very religious, this film. Or anti-religion or anti-religious... Anti-religious cults, I think, is the safest what thing to say. Yeah, I think it's about the sort of perversion of sin and purification and how people go about it. And Dahlia is... A character who does make appearances in the games and shattered memories. Um, you encounter a character by the name of Dahlia too. In this context, Dahlia is revealed to be the mother of Alessa, and she is unaffected as a result by these nightmares. So she is cast out from the church, but she sort of stalks the town in search of her missing daughter. And it uh, sort of reveals that Alessa looks a little bit like Sharon. I mean, Dahlia is but one of a few people moving through the town in the daylight hours. Uh, as well as Dahlia, I think we meet um, Anna, who is sort of a, a true believer of this religious cult. And there's also uh, like a lot of people dressed as minors, minor people dressed as minors, walking around and and i was like thinking if the church is the safest place to be why would you ever leave it but then as you pointed out they are looking for supplies 
it must be a completely terrifying job to do because you know at any moment the siren can go and you have to start running back i don't i don't think the nightmare happens at the same time <laughs> i think it just happens as and when doesn't it so yeah they're carrying a canary which mm. when it starts tweeting much as it would be if they were mining and checking for gas but it starts tweeting and they run away i guess because the canary senses the nightmare too not just the fumes that works for me i mean i don't know what we're going to do when they run out of canaries i'm sure i'm <laughs> sure christmas is pretty depressing experience because they've got a tiny canary to share between 40 people <laughs> um but i guess when the siren goes they all start to converge in the ter- church everyone starts coming out of the woodwork and going towards the church which as you say is the only sanctuary from the dark they're sort of saved by the power of prayer it seems and is it here where pyramid head appears and completely skins this anna lady i mentioned i feel yeah. like they spend a lot of time on the steps leading up to the church i mean rose is having a bit of a freak out because she recognizes the church for from drawings Sharon has done uh, which reminds me um the most popular thing which has appeared in any horror film is not Dracula or the Wolfman or anything like that it's crayons isn't it it's um <laughs> I've I itch I literally was trying to think the other day before I even watched Silent Hill I was just thinking has there ever ever been a horror movie where somebody is drawing with crayons and nothing evil gets revealed in the picture. And this film starts, and Sharon is drawing this lovely little picture of a lovely vista, and I'm like, oh, oh wait, I, I, I don't see any monsters in it. It's a just, it's just a horror film with a girl drawing, and it's gonna be fine. And when we cut to their car journey, and someone has been drawing evil shit in her book, they should release a coffee table book just comprised of paintings haunted children have drawn oh, that'd be so good. in horror cinema maybe her paintings will give me an insight into her mind and then at the back of the book it says which were actually drawn by kids and which were actually drawn <laughs> by like the production designer the arts department and you know they put those r's backwards because that's what kids do apparently i always had trouble with the letter n why is that well, it's just it's quite easy to draw backwards accidentally oh. for everyone converges on the church but I think this is where Pyramid Head makes his final appearance. And it is like an amazing effect where he... And again, this is the sort of stuff you're not seeing in your Resident Evils or your other video game horror films. Um, you know, he completely strips Anna um, of her clothing first and then just full-on grabs her in the chest... And then pulls off her skin and then throws the skin at the church doors and the blood just covers the camera lens. Just freaking disturbing. Yeah, I'd sort of forgotten that happened and I was very taken aback. My word. It was, I mean, yeah, horrifying. Really, really horrifying. That's something for the box. Really, really horrifying. But yeah, mysteri- sadly though, that's that's pyramid head's final appearance really his last hurrah he's off to do something else now i don't know eat a toblerone i imagine for some message <laughs> <laughs> um 
so we're introduced about an hour in. We meet, I would say, the, the true villain of the piece, played by Alice Krieg, who I best know as the lady who plays the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact. Mm-hmm. But she's got a bit of a story career. I think she's also well known for, um, I think, Chariots of Fire is another film she's in. And, you know, she she's she's always bringing her A-game to things. And you and I have met her in person, haven't we, to discuss this very film? Yes, we were at London Film and Comage Con, and we were doing some video interviews for another project. And we thought, oh, she's here, and she's signing, and we asked kindly if she would mind doing an on-camera interview... And we were sort of a bit unprepared, but we were like, oh, yeah, no, she's she's Borg Queen. We can talk about that. Oh, she was in Thor 2. We can talk about that a little bit. Oh, she was in the deleted scenes for Stay Alive. Well, we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, Silent Hill was something which was... Um, she'd made a big impression on us in that film, and the film had made an impression on us. And we tried to find a space where we could conduct an interview. And, unfortunately, the only space we could find was this corridor stairwell which uh seemed to be constantly utilized you know as a stairwell should be i suppose but it just meant every now and then the door would bang very loudly and she would take a sharp intake of breath pause and then try to answer the question it was the most awkward interview i've ever seen actually and i (laughs) she was very game for an interview and she gave some very thoughtful answers about this character i thought she had just would have completely forgotten about but yeah, every time like a klingon barged through the <laughs> the sort of <laughs> stairwell and did a bang on one safety door and a bang on another safety door i just kept willing i was filming and you were doing the interview and i was just willing you to just just wrap it up stop talking because i felt her attitude and nothing against her but her at I mean, again, she was very game. She brought us to somewhere she thought would be quiet. But as the interview continued, I kind of felt like she was blaming us for putting her in that situation when she <laughs> could be doing signings because we got her at her signing desk in that big sort of cattle market <laughs> area where they put all the celebrities in. But yeah, good memories, good memories, and again, we've <laughs> we've managed to piss off the Borg Queen. And um, what's her character called in this? Christabella. Yeah. So I very much in, enjoyed her. There's not much nuance to her, I suppose. She's just a crazy god botherer from beginning to end. I mean, I quite enjoy how Rose is adamant about trying to go down and sort of making peace of Alyssa. And Christabella is very much like, um, you're going to die, but I wish you well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's easy to make that performance a caricature, but I think what she does is, yes, she's maybe not got much uh, grey about her. She's very sort of black and white, and it's like, you know, burn the witch, mm. burn the sinner, purify them, that kind of stuff. But she has, you can feel the belief yes. behind it. Yeah. So I think that's where the strength from the performance comes. Yes. Like behind those eyes, you feel like she's totally committed to what she's doing. There is just one bit, though, where Rose is about to go and speak to Alyssa 
And then there's this really weird little bit of shoe leather for the plot where they have to make Christabella go evil. So Christabella hands Rose a locket that had somehow entered her possession. And the locket sort of pops open and Christabella sees that Sharon looks exactly like Alyssa. And it's just such a weird little moment because... It just really feels like a note where somebody realised, oh Christ, what? How? How do we make Christabella turn against Rose? And this was a very inelegant way of doing it, I think, with the locket. It just sort of snaps open, and and I think poor Alice Krieg just has to act the the motion of putting the locket out of her pocket, it opening, and she goes, huh? <laughs> I mean, you know. I kind of applaud. I just feel like it was very a very difficult thing to convey on the day. I don't know. Yeah, that didn't bother me so much. So Rose must face Alessa, go down to the darkness where the demon resides, the evil one that uh, Christabella doesn't um, think she'll stand much of a chance against. But there is a little moment which I think is a nod to the game or games in general where she is instructed to look at a map mm. and memorise it. And she's sort of reciting left, left, right, right, left, and all this stuff, which I guess is kind of Konami code. She just notices the Konami code. Doing. Um, I mean, I don't think she ever presses start, but um, imagine if she just became invincible, like she went into god mode by mistake. But yes, Christabella turns uh, on Rose and Sybil, seeing that Sharon is Alessa or looks a lot like her and is all like, which, which, which? Rose takes an express elevator down to hell while Sybil holds the miners and Christabella back, but she's sort of just beaten to a pulp, which is unpleasant. It's pretty brutal. There's a lot of unpleasant stuff in this movie. Again, I'm, I'm here for it because it feels like a horror film. It doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like um, the corners have been shaved off in certain bits. Mm. Mm. But she reaches the bottom where Alessa is residing in the basement of this hellish hospital, which gave me a little bit escape room vibes. (laughs) It made me... It sort of reminded me a lot, and I'm sure uh, this was no doubt inspired by Silent Hill, if anything, of... um, the horror hospital at Fuji Q Dreamland Amusement Park in Japan, which is home to the largest horror house in the world, I believe. Mm. I say largest in terms of length of the route that you take is apparently over a kilometre long. Flipping neck. Which I, I enjoyed. I mean, it was a long queue to get in, but you're in this horror hospital for about half an hour, so it's quite um quite intense. And yeah... I got chased around by some zombies and <laughs> saw a bunch of corpses and had a ruddy good time. <laughs> Say that so casually, just saw a bunch of corpses, saw some zombies. I think there have been like Silent Hill themed horror nights at Universal Studios theme parks. I think probably in the Osaka one in Japan, um, but I think maybe even in the American ones too. I guess you've got to use those leftover props somehow. <laughs> She gets down to this basement, she turns a corner and there's a corridor full of these sexy nurses and 
it's quite a disturbing image and they're all performed by dancers and I mean I did comment on how they were purposely sexualized in the game for a reason but there's not a, an apparent reason here but I still think the mixture of sexuality and this this sort of body horror is is fair is, is still quite disturbing you know it's it's it does get under your skin and she has been advised that they go towards the light and which feels like very video gamey doesn't it she she basically mm. manages to nip through them and and get them to surround a light there's this final shot when she turns the corner escaping and they're all gathering around this big mag light trying to have a go at it, which is it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but she finally enters Alyssa's room, and this is where we get like five or six solid minutes of flashback. Don't be afraid. She won't hurt you. She needs your help. Who is she? She is Alessa. Then who are you? I have many names. Right now, I'm the dark part of Alessa. Where's my child? She's not your child. She's hers. The little girl is what's left of her goodness. We hid her in safety. In the world outside this hell. Now, the dream of this life must end. And so too must the dreamers within it. For over 30 years, they've lied to their own souls. For 30 years, they've denied their own fate. But now is the end of days, and I am the Reaper. What do you want? All we ask for is satisfaction. Satisfaction? Revenge. You chose. You chose Sharon. Christabella will find Sharon. She plans to purify her. Oh God, no. Their blind conviction repels me from their church. I cannot enter while they deny their fate. But you can. Just tell me what I need to do. Tell them the truth. I like the way it's I like the way it's presented because you just hear this voice saying, Congratulations, Rose. You're here. You did it. Your reward is the truth. And it's just like cutscene. <laughs> You've unlocked the cutscene. Just actually seeing if I can find how long this actually is on YouTube. Okay, it's not that it's about three and a half minutes <laughs> uh, according to YouTube. But I mean, the rule number one in cinema is to show, don't tell. And while we are shown all these various scenes, it really 
does feel like somebody somewhere said, we just need to lay this all out on the table so we can move on to the next bit. And that might not have even happened. It might have been a choice by the screenwriter to say, okay, we're going to have three and a half pages of exposition here. But it just doesn't feel very natural. I think they've tried to dress it up as best they can with this scratchy old cine reel footage, which is, I think it works with the aesthetic and I like how it's presented. Um, And actually watching it this time, I did appreciate more how much information was already fed through the film. My impression when I saw it first was just this was the big exposition dump, but actually... I think there are enough elements in the film dropped in to sort of tell the story in a way, making so much exposition in this chunk a bit redundant, and particularly with all the Christopher Sean Bean investigating scenes as well. It's like actually just adding to stuff we already Mm. know. Yeah, you can't have both. Yeah, this kind of spells it out very literally. There's still a lot of ambiguity and vagueness in the film, you know, surrounding things and to come. But I think the problem was is that this film has so many elements to it. Like, you wouldn't make a film like this just purely as an original story. You can feel the source material all kind of, like, accumulating and gathering up, swelling underneath the film, and it just has to, like, explode in this geyser of information because, you know, you've got, like, this industrial hellscape, this abandoned ghost town, you've got monsters, you've got demons, you've got zombies, you've got ghosts, you've got witch cults, you've got, you know, sacrificial murder. There's so much to deal with, and it, it, it means that you have a very rich feeling film, and it feels very sort of lived in, and all this myth and lore is embedded in the movie. I feel like it's more overstuffed now that you've described it all. Maybe, maybe so. And like, maybe, you know, this feels like a mini series condensed into two hours. And, you know, they've done a, a an admirable effort, but it is very much like spilling out and they're trying to like stuff it back in, you know, well, all this plot is like oozing everywhere. I feel this info dump is sort of necessary to explain what happens in the final act but I just think it could have been done more quickly than three and a half minutes. It does feel like a a TED talk. (laughs) (laughs) So how I took vengeance on this town. Ultimately, we discover that uh, Alyssa was, uh, as a child, burnt as a witch, but something went wrong during the burning, which caused the entire town to burn down. I think she she knocks, she accidentally knocks a, uh, a cauldron of fire, which takes light to the whole area health and safety nightmare <laughs> when you're burning <laughs> the witch and and because her hatred got so strong she was able to split her sort of psyche into two parts a good little girl who is sharon and this evil dark half dark Alyssa. um kind of makes you think if sharon has ever been naughty at all i think if my daughter was like practically perfect in every way I would find it kind of creepy. But then that's kind of how you were as a child, weren't you, Rory? So you were <laughs> never bad. For all I know, there's a dark Rory out there somewhere feasting <laughs> off the psyche of a town. Oh, come on. I'm not that good. 
That is like, but Sharon is like Alessa's child. She's not necessarily like the half of oh, Alessa. Yeah. There's like Alessa who's like grown up, but is still like a bedridden and burned and trapped basically in this underground hell hospital scape. And there's like the dark demon version of Alessa, like running around who's still a child. So the good Alessa is the burned one and the bad one is the ghost one, I think. But Sharon is Alessa's child. And I don't know if we know who the daddy is, but I think we're meant to assume it's some sort of like immaculate conception Mm -hmm. of evil incarnate or, or something along those lines because Dahlia, who is Alessa's mother, won't reveal who the father is to Christabella, her sister. And that's why all the burning goes on. So There's a lot of Alyssa. There's a lot. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, we're going to burn her as a witch because she's an evil abomination. And then it's like, no, 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 she's fine. She's just being bullied. It's, it's unfair. And then it's like, you know what? I'm going to seek my revenge by engaging with a dark, vengeful spirit. I'll show you who's a witch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've talked about all these sort of different versions of Alyssa and things, but I think this dark version of Alyssa is pretty much a demon who inhabited Alyssa. She made like a deal mm. with a demon or something along yeah. those lines. Um, and this this whole flashback ends with dark Alyssa coming out and hugging Rose and then sort of going inside her, like, what's the reverse of being enveloped? It's the opposite of being enveloped. <laughs> she goes inside, and this is so she can cross the threshold and enter the church sort of secretly. Because in the church, because it works so well last time, the cult is going to burn the witch. <laughs> I did sort of think... It's, it's, not just, it's not just a single burning, it's a double burning. Double it's burn. a double bill of burnings. Double. What a treat. I mean, it's quite impressive that Christabella was heading up the witch burning. Again, 30 years ago, question mark, though she looks exactly the same. I think it's purgatory. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. purgatory. If I want to maintain my youth and beauty, I just need to go to purgatory. <laughs> just need to sort that shit out. But yeah, they've caught Sharon. Though I say they've caught Sharon, but Sharon has been kind of absent for like most of the film. And they grab, the cult grab hold of her towards the end of the film because she's been looked after by Dahlia, who, because of Sharon's resemblance to uh, Alyssa, she's been looking after Sharon. I hope that sentence makes sense. Um, yes, I, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> but uh, they've caught her. They're going to burn her, but not before they've um, they've cooked this piggy. <laughs> they found... Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it is horrible. They've got Sybil on top of a wooden ladder. And again, I was like thinking, you're only going to be able to use that ladder once if you if it's wood. You need like a nice metal ladder for burning your witches but they are they're hanging her over this fire and uh it's it's again pretty damn nasty you using very effective cgi her whole head and body gets engulfed in flame not before her face all boils and frazzles yeah, it turns into crackling <laughs> i'm so I'm, I'm not gonna give up on this cop pig analogy i'm sorry uh, I think I think what you were saying earlier about the helplessness yes. is very much the case here. And just, I think, like, witch burning is one of, like, the scariest 
most horrible things. The the idea of, you know, when you have like films or stories where everyone again is against you, like there's no way you can escape. There's no way you can convince people that you are not who they say you are. Um, and the fact that you just have these people just like trapped and helpless and burning to death. And the fact that this stuff really happened mm. is horrifying and just totally chilling and you know cop or no i found it very upsetting um yeah i think we're allowed to feel sorry for her don't worry <laughs> um and i think all the extras were like going full-blown uh monty python's holy grail and going burn her burn the witch and I could I could see the extras were enjoying themselves a bit too much. <laughs> but that does mean when the shit hits the fan, we don't mind if they all get killed. Um because Rose enters the church and she gets stabbed a little bit by Christabella. <laughs> but when the blood from her knife wound gets it touches the floor of the church, everything goes dark she's let the demon in and all this barbed wire bursts from the floor and starts going to town on the congregation and again i've mentioned hellraiser it's reminds me of the chains of hellraiser the barbed wire chains again are just a little bit unconvincing but I I still find it disturbing. It's the in as I say the inescapable aspect of it. They they're trying to leave the church, but they can't. The doors are shut, and so all they can do is watch as everyone around them gets turned into mincemeat by the barbed wire. It's just fucking nasty, isn't it? Yeah, I, like this is a fifteen certificate, but golly gosh, it does uh, it does sort of skirt it when you have people being like ripped in half by barbed wire after it's threaded through them mm. like in every sort of direction or they're like wrapped around of it and then like the barbed wire just like squeezes them and they just explode into a bloody mist mm. i mean uh christabella is held up by her arms and all these blades go up a foof i think and explode out of her stomach and we have a slow angle shot of all the barbed wire coming out of her torso. And, you know, as a horror fan, I kind of really appreciated the, the gore. and But not in a, a, not in a, oh yeah, lovely, lovely bit of gore sort of way. It's just the horror. It's just, what a nasty way to go. It's like the despair as well, because these people have managed to keep the darkness, not the band, but the darkness... Um, <laughs> at bay for so long and it just all goes to shit so quickly and of course rose you know she, she's brought this on and she's willingly brought this on because she knows they deserve they deserve this she's had her eyes open to the fact that these horrible people burnt like an innocent girl it's the you know mother is god in the eyes what was the thing a mother is god in the eyes of a child yeah and she'll do anything for her daughter including Letting a demon tear apart dozens of people. <laughs> I mean, what parent wouldn't? Yeah. Um, weirdly, when Rose is hugging Sharon, who she's finally reconnected with, um, she's hugging Sharon as all this hor horrible stuff is happening all around. All this horrible stuff is happening. 
Uh, she says to her child, it's just a bad dream. But the subtitles say it's just unnatural, which I found kind of curious. <laughs> Somebody okay. dropped the ball in the subtitles there. But as they're hugging, as all this horror is happening around them, the creepy form of Dark Alyssa approaches and stares right into the camera and we go to fade to black. And when we wake up, not we, she does. I didn't. I mean, unless you have a nap right at that moment <laughs> and then, then wake up, you have a like micro nap towards you. You didn't have like suggested nap times mm. at the start of the movie. I mean, I, it's okay to it's okay to not pay attention to the film during these moments. Just watching a lot of people get eviscerated makes me very tired and sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> But we wake up and Dark Lister is, no, is, is nowhere to be seen. But you'd have to be an idiot not to believe that she's now inhabiting the body of Sharon. And yes, as they leave the church, Dahlia is the only one who has been spared. And the look that Dahlia gives Sharon and Sharon gives back to Dahlia, there's like a knowing, yeah, I'm a lesser now <laughs> kind of nod. And I find this ending really eerie. I think this is like a proper good ghost story ending because they drive home. Rose drives Sharon home and she kind of doesn't seem to notice that everything is still foggy right up until where they live. They go back to the family house where poor old Sean Bean who's called Chris, by the way. I know at the end of the podcast, but <laughs> he's called Chris, not Sean Bean. She's not actually married to Sean Bean in this film. That would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean Bean as himself. Yeah, it's just like, it's actually a biopic of Sean Bean. <laughs> he's like, Rose, what are you doing with adopted daughter? You know I'm busy filming Lord of the Rings 4. Mm. <laughs> um, but Sean Bean is sort of, he's in the house. He doesn't know what to do. He senses a presence and we know it is Sharon and Rose just messing about in the house, <laughs> just walking around. Um, and so, yes, yeah, it's, it's just eerie and, and, and sad and a bit ambiguous. And so I, I kind of like that sort of ending. Yeah, the fact that they're still maybe kind of trapped in the Silent Hill fog realm. Could be just a foggy day. Yeah, it could just be a funny. It'll just like clear up and Sean Bean will be like, oh, there you are. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> couldn't see you on the other side of the living room. She leaves a message on their answer phone and it just comes through as static on the home phone. But yeah, it just, it, it's it's slightly punctured by the fact that the final shot of the film is just the camera moving across. It sort of pans across to just like a hedge being rained on. Yeah. And that's it. It's like, you know, <laughs> leave it at him at the door or, mm. you know, that, that's okay. It's just like, you're holding on this hedge for a, quite a long time. I think in the original cut, it panned down to reveal a bunch of pyramid head eggs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh no, it's happening again. I mean, apparently there was like so much footage filmed and they filmed like three i think the first cut was something like three to four hours long but never with the intention of making it that long i think it was sort of loosey-goosey in terms of what scenes they needed because there's a lot of b-roll footage on this dvd for scenes which just which just did not happen mm -hmm. um 
So yes, I'm saying maybe there are some pyramid eggs to wreck <laughs> havoc if uh, Pyramid Head is fed after midnight. He's had too much Toblerone <laughs> and he's going bonkers. He's all very cute and fluffy until like you get him wet and then he's pulling Lady's skin off. And I'm getting my films all mixed up now. <laughs> it's Silent Hill 2, the new bat. <laughs> As we've established, we saw this film on release, but there is a sequel, which I do think picks up a character or two from this. So that's something to look forward to in the future. But on this rewatch, what was your opinion of the first Silent Hill film? I think it went up in my estimation on this watch. It always had left an impression on me. Um, but I think my misgivings of the film on first watch, uh, which we've discussed, a.k.a. the Christopher scenes, the exposition dump, um, just the fact that it is about two hours long, those things didn't weigh so heavy on me this time. And I think it still is not quite perfect. Um, I think it does have a few wobbly elements to it and... Those problems with the film are still problems, but they just didn't seem quite so in the way of my enjoyment of the film this time. I think it's true that this film is very upsetting and it delivers on the promise of its horror. And I think that is something quite impressive when compared to many of the other video game movies that we do, that it's faithful to, I think, the ideas and the atmosphere and the tone of the games, while also being distinct in its own genre. It sort of supersedes the video game movie subgenre in a way that I think other video game movie horror efforts in particular have not managed to. I feel like this film has been embraced by certain sections of the horror community as much as the video game community because of what it delivers. And that's not something to be dismissed. I think it's um, certainly a strong entry in the video game movie canon, for sure. I think the reason why it's been embraced by the horror community is purely due to the aesthetics you know i, I yes. don't think it's because of the plot i don't think i mean even though i had positive things to say about the ending and, and the story and how it's sort of faintly haunting and disturbing i think 99 percent of horror fans and I'm, i count myself as one of them when they think of this movie they think of seeing sights that they don't often get to see and this sort of higher budgeted horror film i mean as I said earlier, Hellraiser is is probably in my top five films. It's it's very influential on my love of horror, but it was made on a shoestring budget. Yeah, the budget for this was around fifty million dollars, and mm. it made uh, over a hundred million worldwide, and opened mm. at number one at the U.S. box office. So clearly, the success of that did mean that it led to the sequel, as we mentioned, and even. Uh, as uh, recently as earlier this year, the director of the first one, Christoph Gans, mentioned that he was thinking of 
trying to make a third Silent Hill movie, mm. um, as well as talking up a potential Fatal Frame adaptation. So still looking at Japanese spooky video game material for um, future cinematic outings. Mm. While your feelings about the film, your estimation of this film went up a little bit, I felt like it was slightly tempered this time. I actually did stop it a bunch of times because I'm... There's a lot happening on Twitter right now. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like I wouldn't have done that so much if the short Mr. Bean's sections were just a little bit more <laughs> engaging. I mean, you know, imagine Not if... Not Mr. Bean. Imagine if it was... If she, she was married to Mr. Bean. <laughs> and he's, like, getting into all sorts of scrapes in Silent Hill. <laughs> um, but sadly not. You know, I love... I wouldn't say the scenes with Mr. Bean were entirely without merit, but I just felt the film would have been stronger if it was just a little bit tighter. And I just sensed that these studio-mandated additional scenes with a man were for very much that. And I think this film is definitely one of my favourite video game movies. I still think it's good, but not great. But I... At the, I'll absolutely fight for it to be recognised as a, a very sort of darkly beautiful and kind of affecting horror film. And like it's a mm -hmm. horror film, end of. We've, just, we've done just a handful of true blue horror. What an appropriate month to be watching this film. <laughs> yes, and the weather's been so grey and miserable. Not foggy, but, you know, it's the right time to watch it when it's just so gloomy outside. Christopher, it's me. I'm with Sharon. Hello? Hello? Rose? Rose? Yeah, we're coming home. So that's us leaving Silent Hill for now. But what are we watching next on Games and Film? We're continuing our horror-themed month for October, and we are tackling Capcom's other zombie video game franchise. We're looking at Dead Rising Watchtower. I'm a big fan of Dawn of the Dead, and if memory serves, the first Dead Rising game had to have a stipulation on the box saying no official relation to Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> so... Fingers crossed, this will be entertaining and zombie-filled. But in the, in the meantime, how could people keep in touch with Games on Film? You can find Games on Film on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Games on Film Pod. If you want to contact the show, you can also reach us by email, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. And you can find all these links and information about the show and video game movies on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. There you can also find ways to support the show either through buying movies for us to watch on Amazon or you can donate via coffee. Our podcast 
Our podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, hopefully. That's SoundCloud, Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts. Please like, rate, review, share and subscribe. And please tell friends and family and anyone who might enjoy a podcast about video game movies about us. We do appreciate as many listens as possible. You can also find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for Games on Film was composed by David Lightfoot. So, get watching Dead Rising Watchtower, and we'll see you next time. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. What's that sound?